Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So we've been talking through a lot here in these letters called A Letters from a Friend. That's the name of our series. The Apostle John has written these letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're going to go on for a couple more weeks with this. We might take a little break and then come back to it. But we've just covered so many things. We've been talking through quite a bit of ideas from this letter written by the Apostle John. And he's been talking about things like false teachers. There were false teachers who were infiltrating the church and they were trying to make things Uh, more than just having Jesus, more than the simplicity of the gospel. And so he was definitely questioning that. In fact, he's later in his years, a lot of scholars believe probably in his 80s. So at this point in his life, of course, uh, he's, he's a little bit, you ever notice how elderly people just say what's on their mind and they can get away with it? And I feel that John in this letter, it's, it's pretty fiery in moments and at points because he, he's like, I walked with Jesus. I knew Jesus. I spent three to three and a half years on this earth with Jesus physically. And then I've followed him my whole and in my entire life. And so it's kind of fiery at times. And so he deals with false teachers. He deals with the concept of sin. What does sin really look like? What does it mean? And we've covered that in previous um, episodes. So if you want to check that out online, you can. But he also talks about this idea of friendship with Jesus. He talks about this idea of relationship with Jesus. And then he also talks about our desire for loving humanity. He says that, if you hate your brother, that word brother means fellow man. If you hate your fellow man, even if you say you love God, then you're a liar. And so again, really punchy, really strong language. And we talked about that last week, that it's really this desire that we have, I believe that's innate within us to love humanity as we mature in the love of God that's put in us. So then he goes on here. I want to pick up in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 and through 17 today. Let's, let's stick with that today. Listen to this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, because all that is in the world, then he goes on to explain the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from what? The world. Look at this. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. Now, sometimes this is, again, we we can read into the scriptures, can't we, what we already believe. So we hear the world's passing away, and we're like, yeah, that's talking about the end times. No, it's saying the world idea and system is passing away. Why? Because the kingdom of God is growing ever greater to the point where it will fill the whole earth. That's what I believe the end game is. But what I see here, more than anything, from this letter is the idea of relationship. Say that with me, relationship. Say it again, relationship. Whether it's our understanding of this false teaching, whether it's our understanding or idea of sin, whether it's this idea of love and what love really looks like, it all boils down to proper understanding through this one word, relationship. You know, relationships change us, don't they? I've experienced this in my life, but how many have kids? Anyone online have kids? They're probably running around the house right now. That's awesome. But you know, I've noticed this, that if 
my friends or my kids or even I, if we hang around certain people and develop relationships with those people, you ever heard this, this saying that that person rubs off on you? See, when you get into different relationships in life, it changes us. It begins to change us for the good and sometimes for the bad. Many of us, I mean, if you don't have kids, you've been a kid. That's why you're here. Somehow you're here. You had to be a kid. And you probably heard your parents at one time or another say, I don't like you hanging out with that person or that group because it's changing you. I see things in you that I don't really like to see in you. Does that make sense? And so relationships change us. Think about this. Marriage changes us. Chris and I were just talking the other day about this. And, you know, we just kind of chuckle about it now, but... I remember when we were first, you know, just dating and then we got married, um, she would bring up, she's like, do you realize how much you flirt? I was like, what, I flirt? What do you mean I flirt? She goes, yeah, right. That was, that's my famous thing. What? She's like, you always say what? Like, you don't know what's going on. Any other guys? You get the what down? But she'd say, you know, you flirt. And it wasn't like I was on purpose trying to. I'm like, yeah, but we got free ranch and free salsa. What are you complaining about? But, you know, she brought it up and I started to notice that, yeah, I guess I, guess I was. I, I didn't realize that I was flirting with, with other women and that made her feel uncomfortable, which would any wife, I would think. And so there's things that I had to change. Now, I didn't have to change who I was, but sometimes we have to change what we do or how we do things. How about this free time? Any bachelors here? Free time is just free time, right? But free time for me became we time. Right Now, I think it's great to have personal time, and sometimes we need space, and Kristen gives me plenty of space when I need it, and vice versa, but free time becomes we time. Instead of me just going to do something, it's we going to do something, right? And so relationships change us. That's just how it works. And you know what marriage did? It showed me something. It showed me how selfish I really was in many regards. Now, again, it wasn't that I was doing this on purpose. It's just that when you're a bachelor, you have different priorities, Right? So here's a fact this morning that I want to state. One relationship always frames and changes another relationship. Let me say that again. One relationship always frames and changes another relationship. Is this making sense so far? And so when John writes this letter, again, he keeps coming back to this thing called relationship. John is showing us that relationship with Jesus, relationship with Heavenly Father, we could say relationship with God or the divine, however that works for you and your verbiage, relationship with God will forever change our relationship to the world and the culture we live in. Now, here's the thing. This changes how we interact, doesn't it? It changes how we embrace culture. It changes, really, to be honest, how I live. And it all comes from this relationship with God, this relationship with the divine. Now, oftentimes, I think when we read things like this, when it comes to portions of scriptures like this, I should say, I think a lot of times we can take a negative approach. We look at this in a negative rather than a positive. We see things as a threat rather than a promise. I've learned as I read scripture to look at things as promises from God, not threats. Let me say this, because we're going to talk about this idea today of heavenly father, being secure in the father's love. But I'll tell you what, I never want my kids to be afraid or terrified of me. Never. And I don't believe they are. Now, there might be times they're like, whoa, what just happened? 
I did something and dad doesn't seem right. What's wrong with his face? What's going on? But I don't want them to be terrified of me. I want them to, I want them to feel like they can approach me in every situation. I've tried to tell my kids as, as they've grown up, listen, nothing can offend me. Nothing that you say or ask if you're coming to me and asking and just bringing out, you, you're not going to get in trouble for it. I want to be here. I want to talk to you through things. So, you know, believe it or not, my kids have come to me and they said things. And in my head, I'm going, whoa, that you heard what at school? But, you know, in your face, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And we can get through this. Let's talk about this. Why? Because I want to be approachable. Well, how much more is God? How much more does he want us to approach him? Right? We're told to boldly Come to the throne of grace in our time of need. His grace is sufficient. If you're in a time of trouble or need grace, guess what? It's there. It's fully available. So I don't think that John's motive here is speaking out of fear. I don't think he wants us to fear the world. Don't listen to secular music and, and smash your television set. And definitely don't celebrate holidays and, and don't celebrate any birthdays, especially the establishments with tokens, tickets, and giant rats. Now, maybe John wouldn't want you to go there. But my fact is, I don't believe he's saying to fear the world. I don't believe if he were to live in Michigan, how many know we have two peninsulas? We have a lower and an upper. I don't think he's saying, I want you to move to the UP. That's the upper peninsula for those of you who don't know. I want you to move to the UP. I want you to make your own clothing. I want you to live off the land. Now, to be honest with you, that sounds like a pretty good idea at my age now. Like to live off the land and that. We have our own garden that we've been growing the last few years, but we did it in a different way this year. And man, it's just awesome to go out there and just pick stuff ripe and eat it right off the vine. There's nothing like it. But I don't think that's John's thing. Get away, fear the world, keep the world out. Not at all. What he's saying is that the problem with the world, which by the way is a system, is that it can't deliver. It doesn't satisfy. The world is a place that can't deliver. It can't satisfy. Does this make sense? It will leave you broken and wanting. So when he says, do not love the world, it isn't, first of all, it isn't about you changing appearances and looking holier than thou and sanctified. Some people have read that wrong, and so they separate so much, and then, you know, they're out and about, and someone comes by them that they, they know their lifestyle. They know that they're different, so like, ew, like, don't touch me. I'm not talking about in our current situation, but, but honestly, sometimes followers of Jesus, those that profess to follow Jesus, can be some of the most mean-spirited, unapproachable people that we know. Because we misunderstand ideas about what John, for instance, is saying about the world. He's not saying fear people and don't go near people. Jesus was near people all the time. Every person from every walk of life, just get this, whether the religious establishment agreed with it or not. He hung out with those sinners, those outcasts, the people that the temple said, no, you cannot worship with us. Jesus accepted them. He would sit down and he would eat meals with them. In that time, that was unheard of. When you sat down and you broke bread with somebody, it was a sign of covenant. It was a sign saying that I'm okay with you right where you are. It's a big deal. See, we can do flat readings and go, well, why were they so irritated? You just sat down and ate because of the culture of the time. So it's, it's good to understand that. So on, on one end, 
It's not about keeping up these perfect appearances, but on the other side, it has nothing to do with completely avoiding people or human interaction with anyone outside of the four walls of our precious precious church building. He says the world is an illusion. The world will not satisfy. It doesn't deliver. But friendship with Jesus, relationship with Father, I love that word Father in the Greek, it's the word pater, it means source or origin. Reconnecting to your source in life, guess what? That delivers. That brings fulfillment. But see, how do we navigate these waters? How do we reconnect, stay connected to our source, who is love, by the way, right? But what do we do that in our relationship to the world? Now, I think it's really important because John uses the word world, say word world, say that fast like five times in a row, right? He says the word world six times in just three verses. So I think it's probably important to define the word world here. The word world means this, worldly affairs, the aggregate of things earthly, this is in the Greek, it's an attitude or outlook. So by definition, the world is an attitude or outlook devoid of God. We could say an attitude or outlook devoid of love. Is God love? So how we operate matters. That's what John's saying here. Do not give in to that attitude. Furthermore, do not associate things to this attitude. In fact, what does John say? He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, again, a flat reading could bring some fear. It's like, oh, God's not in me. He, he's not near me. No, no, listen. Our whole life is awakening to all these facets of the life he's given us. We're told to awaken to our righteousness. Some of us are just asleep. We don't see it. We don't know who we are. We don't understand. And so we awaken to that, that word righteousness, which is right standing. Awaken to how you've always been. Literal Greek is what that means. So that, that really is what the gospel does. That's why Jesus appeared on planet earth. He wanted us to awaken to our source and origin and see who we truly were. Why do you think we see things like, like murder and rape and war and greed and hatred and retribution? Because we don't know who we are. We've forgotten our origin. We've forgotten our source. Is this making sense this morning? And so that's the beauty of the gospel is it paints this beautiful picture of we could go back to the creation poem, Genesis 1, that says God created man and it was what? He was very good. That should be the starting place for us. That was God's starting place for us. Now, when Adam and Eve, man and woman, when they made that decision to do things on their own, to in a sense become their own God, what happened? What followed? Death, murder, war, racism slavery. I mean, you name it. They're not kingdom principles, right? So Jesus wants to get us back on course. He wants to, to readjust. He wants to recenter us in the truth of who we are. So he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. In other words, anyone who embraces or enjoys an attitude or outlook devoid of God, the love of the father is not perfected. You've heard that word before, right? That means mature. That is not perfected or mature in that person. Now, this is obvious. I mean, anyone who really loves or embraces this attitude or the way of life, I mean, we could look at them and say, well, obviously the love of the father isn't present there. 
They haven't awakened to that. They don't understand that. So even in your own life, there's a lot of times where, you know, I see maybe the decisions I've made or the choices I make or the way that I respond to someone. I mean, this has even happened recently at home where I've said something and then I went about 10 minutes later, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, babe, I'm sorry the way I responded to you there. I just, I have all these things going on here and, you know, things don't seem to be working out. And so then I responded in a way that came from there versus who I truly am. And that's love. And so a lot of us, it's a good challenge for us. It's a good comparison for us in our own lives. So it means that the reality and understanding of God's love for you is not present. You haven't awakened to that. And what's the result? Well, uh, we fall in love with thoughts and ideas and concepts that are completely absent of God's involvement. Not only that, we give in to thoughts and ideas, and this is a big issue here. We give in to thoughts, ideas, and the concepts about ourselves that are false. Again, whenever we're acting outside of our true identity, that's when you see all that crazy stuff, right? But if you're in line with that, the outflow of that is good works, fruit of the spirit. Let's just bottom line it, love. That's the outflow of everything is love. When you're connected and you understand. Man, that is just huge. But, but look what he says here. Because, you know, honestly, when we do that, we buy into what is fake and hollow and it will never deliver. But look at verse 16 again. He says, because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the what? World. Now again, is the world people? It's a system. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing, right? Look at this. I I love this translation in the message. He says, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. But look at this next line. This is huge. It just isolates you from him. How many ever had those my God, my God moments? First of all, God will never forsake you. He'll never leave you. That's a promise he made. So when we feel those feelings, sometimes it's just the world is just serving us, serving us up helpings and helpings of just trash. It's not maybe your decision or, or, or something that you know, you're reaping from necessarily. It's just stuff happens. But in the midst of that, even though we feel like, God, where are you? He's there and he's present. But when we operate outside of love, outside of who we truly are, it actually isolates us from him. We're the one isolating, not him. He doesn't go anywhere. Again, back to the creation poem, the creation story. What happened? Adam and Eve sinned, and they ran and hid. We could say they ran and isolated themselves. But like Pastor Kristen said just today, he, he will, he'll what? He'll, he climbs mountains. He, he you know, knocks down walls. He, he'll do anything to seek you out. Why? To love you. Because he knows that his love will change your heart. It's beautiful. So as I read through this, I see that we could refer to him as Grandpa John. Grandpa John does something interesting here as he's writing this, and I want us to catch this. He transitions from God or Jesus, this whole talk about God, as God the Father. Say the Father. I mean, he could have said the love of God isn't in you, right? But he says the love of the Father is is not in you. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, I think that the beauty of scripture is that, first of all, God is spirit. Do we all know this? 
I haven't literally seen God. Has anyone here seen God? I, I haven't. So we know he's spirit. But as human beings, we have this, this way of trying to make things make sense to us, right? And I believe that God works within those. Now, if you read all through the scripture, something that's really cool is God is referred to as spirit. He's referred to as light. He's referred to and is love. He's referred to as father, which is masculine. But do you know there's actually areas, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, that refer to him in feminine? Do you know that the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek for spirit is a feminine word? You know what's cool about that? Is however you need to see God. Because some people go, well, well, God is a father. You don't know my dad. You don't know the absence of my dad or even the presence of my dad and how he was with me. Maybe he lived there, but he was never there. Anyone experience that? Don't show your hands. So for people like me who experienced a really good father who had issues and made mistakes and he would admit those, he was good to me. But for everyone, they didn't experience that. So the first thing when we hear God as a father, it's like, whoa. Well, how about God as a mother? How about God as love? I mean, I think it's okay. I mean, all through scripture, we have all these ways because we're trying to wrap these minds around the concept of something that's complete spirit. And it's not easy. And so I, be, I believe that, that God or Jesus even works within our understanding in these things. But what Jesus says here is he identifies God as Father. And then John, taking that on, understanding that through ministry with Jesus and following Jesus, uses the same terms. Now, why is this important? Because I believe that the role of a dad is to bring identity and security. Now, you know what? I know there's a lot of single moms, maybe even watching. Listen, we're, we're, not, we're not throwing you under the bus. Some of you have to do double duty, and that's not easy. But there's just something about a father that brings identity. There's something about a father that brings security. I believe that's why John's doing this. Do you know that God wants to be a father to you? He literally wants to bring a sense of identity to you. He wants to bring security to your life. Listen, if you don't experience that fatherly securing or that confident love from God that gives you confidence and security and identity, then I believe you spend your whole life wanting. Wanting your own way right? Everything is about you and it's devoid of the father. This is the attitude that John is addressing. Again, I want to come back to this at least one more time. He's not talking about people. He's not saying avoid people. If that's true, then why did Jesus and the apostles not avoid people? They went to where the people were. Why? Because the gospel should be expanding. It should be moving. Everyone should experience this life in Christ and awaken to what that means. But look at this, verse 17 in the message. He says, the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. That's a pretty big statement. Now, of course, when we hear do what God wants, if we're not careful, we hear it with a certain ear, don't we? You better or else. But, but I think about my relationship with my dad. When things are going well and, and I just, and I knew that he loved me and he cared for me. We were just talking about this the other day, even in his discipline. I mean, I, I got spanked, spanked when I was growing up, 
But my dad handled it in such a way, and I don't know what you believe on that, but I'm just explaining my experience. Um, when, when he would spank me, it wasn't just, it was never in anger. Now, I think I can remember one time in my entire life that he was angry when he spanked me. One time, that's pretty good. But we had this process, if I was in trouble or I had, we call them swats, I'm getting swats, right? He would say, go to your room, think about, you know, what's going on here. He would come into my room, didn't raise his voice. He would sit down next to me on the bed. And he'd say, son, there's a better way of life. There's a better way to function in life. Do you know why you're getting these swats? And I would have to verbally tell him why. And we would discuss this. This is the procedure. He'd say, okay, hands on the dresser, get it done. He'd say, okay. He'd let me sit down and cry it out. When I was done crying, always. I'm getting emotional right now. He would always come back in the room. He would sit down with me. And he'd hold me. He'd hug me. He'd say, I love you, son. I want you to make better decisions in life. Because if you choose to do that now, you won't reap bad in the future. So even when he disciplined me, I always understood my dad loves me. He cares for me. And so it's really important that we see this. So in those situations, in those moments when I knew that my dad loved me and he said, hey, Andy, if I didn't hear be Andrew, and say, yeah, he go, I need you to get the trash, bud. I need you to mow the lawn. I need you to vacuum the pool or whatever needed to be done. I'd be like, even if I didn't want to, I'd be like, okay, dad, all right, I can do that. Well, why do you want to do what your father asked you to do? Because he loves me. It's the same way with Heavenly Father. Sometimes we, man, if you're coming to church or just going through life and whenever you feel that Father's asking you stuff, it's just a drudgery and it's hard and you're just pushing through, something's wrong. Somehow there's a, there's a faulty connection there. We're, we're, and again, it's not on his end. It really isn't. It's us. We're seeing him wrong. We're, we see him as a taskmaster. We see him as a judge. I've heard several people use this analogy that, you know, we need to, to get away from this idea that God is a judge in a courtroom. He's a father in the living room. Big difference in, in how we see God. Can I get one amen this morning? Big difference. And so he says, whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. In other words, in other words this is what fulfills. This is what delivers. Because you're living out who you truly are. Listen, we love culture and we love sports right now more than anything because we don't really get any. But we love culture and we love sports and we love music and hobbies and people. But listen, we, we don't love an attitude that's absent from God because it will leave us empty and wanting. But look at this transition John makes from God the Father and, and where he would get this idea from. Because how many know that he walked with Jesus? He spoke with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He understood the heart of Father. But look at this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. Can I get a Kleenex real quick? Thank you. I should always have one up here. You never know when the emotion is going to kick in. But that's what happens for a man. I mean, this love has done so much to my heart to just, just change and rearrange. And yeah, I got a ways to go. I mean, ask my wife, ask my family, but you know, it's, it's usually the ones you're closest to that see it the very last, right? But it's a process and we're growing. But, but look at this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 
after being baptized, and this is right after Jesus had come to the shores of the Jordan. And how many have heard of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was baptizing people. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent means change your mind. There's not an A added to the end, repent. So it really has, you know, power. It's change your mind. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus said, in fact, the kingdom of God is in you. He was awakening us to the truth in us. This is cool, right? So this is just before Jesus started his earthly ministry. And it was, you know, it, it was culture. I'm not going to get into all that, but it was culture. There were witnesses involved and there was an anointing that was done. And so baptism was a sign. But look at this. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Water. Look at this. And behold, the heavens were open. Say hallelujah. And he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Look at this, verse 17. And behold, say behold. In other words, listen up. You need to hear this. A voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son. Look at this. In whom I am well pleased. Not with whom. In whom. Words matter, don't they? You know, Jesus hadn't started ministry. Hadn't done one miracle. Hadn't done one sign and wonder. Hadn't preached one message. That's interesting, right? And so this voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now think about this. John, the apostle John, grandpa John, spent over three years with Jesus. Three years of relationship. I mean, John had a front row seat to what can happen when a son and a father have a perfect relationship. John, front row seat, wow, he, he has a father who loves him. There, there's, a, there's something there that flows through him, and he had a front row seat to what can happen in that perfect relationship. Think about this. Jesus, at least with what I've read in the Gospels, Jesus never had a, a day of insecurity. He was never, you know, holed up on the floor, uh, you know, in fetal position, wondering, why am I here? He just didn't. He just, he had this sense of security. Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. Now, did he have a crisis in life? Of course. Whether physical or circumstances coming his way. I mean, I can't imagine the emotion he had. I mean, we see some of it when he was praying in the garden before the crucifixion. I mean, to know I'm going to the cross to be crucified, human emotion, crisis. But through all that, he never had an identity crisis. He always knew who he was. Another thing I love about Jesus he never talked over someone else to look better. Anyone have friends that are one-uppers? Isn't that fun? You're like, dude, I got a new fishing pole. He's like, oh my gosh, I got this new fishing pole. What? What? I just told, hey man, we're going on vacation. We're going on a cruise. Oh, where are you going? We're going on a Caribbean cruise. Oh, I was on Disney last year. It's like those people, they always have to one-up and, and make sure. Sometimes if you're a one-upper, uh, awaken to that and shut up. Just be happy with somebody else and what they get and what they've done and they've accomplished, right? But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus didn't try to one-up people. And so John had to be just blown away. He had to be mesmerized by Jesus. I mean, nothing rocks this guy's security. He knows who he is. But, but look at this. It says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from water. And look at this. Right after this, and behold, because they want us to see this, it says, the heavens were opened and the spirit descended upon him. Now think about this. If you knew that the heavens 
we're open to you, which by the way, they are. In fact, they're in you. Come on, someone, that's good. That his spirit rests on you and resides in you. If you knew that you were a dearly loved child by your heavenly father and that he was pleased in you, think about this. Would you live the rest of your life, the rest of your life, I should say, trying to get stuff, to accumulate things, and then be arrogant about what you've achieved? Of course not. Now, Pastor Andy's not saying it's wrong to have stuff. By all means, have stuff. If you have extra, give some away. That's always good. There's always someone who can use it, right? We've been changing things out, and we've been putting stuff to the road and putting big free signs on it because, hey, it still works. We're just upgrading. And people are like, yeah, I'll take it. Right? That's good. It's great to have more than you need so that you have enough to give when that need presents itself. Can I get an amen on that one? But I think if you truly understood who you were, just like Jesus, because as he is, so are we in this world, I know, you would what? Do what God wants. That's what he's saying. So when you awaken to this understanding, when you understand what love is all about and that it's flowing, it's reciprocal, guess what? You're like, I'm going to give this away. I want to give this away. I've said it before, but the fruit of the Spirit, I love that he used the term fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are things that are already within us and just need to be worked out. But how many know this? That fruit is meant to be picked and eaten. That's what I love about this garden. I've never been a tomato guy, but have you had garden-fresh tomatoes? It's nothing. It makes the store stuff taste like plastic. Lindsay, I'm sure, man, pineapple in Hawaii? Oh, dear Jesus. I went there one time and I was like, what is this? Is this this pineapple-flavored cotton candy? It just melt in your mouth. It was so sweet. It was so good. But there's something. Imagine people coming up to you and go, man, look at the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the self-control. I want to pick and eat. I want some of what you got. Because what you have is meant to be shared. It's in you in order to work out of you this kingdom, this fruit, these good works. Why? To benefit others. Man, that's so beautiful. But until we awaken to who we truly are as sons and daughters of God, it won't happen. Because we'll be insecure. We we feel unworthy. We feel like we don't measure up. And so we'll use stuff and accolades and things to try and feel that feeling when all along, just like Jesus, before any signs and wonders and miracles and ministry, he says, this is my son, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. That's the starting point right there. It's our father's love that motivates us to do what he wants. You see that? So think about this. John woke up every day following Jesus, doing his will. Why? Because of the relationship that he had with Jesus. Because of the relationship that he had with Father. Because of the Father's love that was matured in him. That was his motivation. And I believe that John desires for us to have the very same relationship. How about you? So are you looking for security in life? Are you tired of feeling insecure and just faking it until you make it? Are you looking for true identity You ever ask that question? I think most of us have. Why am I here? What am I doing? I ask this question quite often when I'm doing funerals because those are times that we we really think about our life, right? We're like, we see a coffin or we see an urn and we're like, 
I'm going to be there one day. And it could be one day soon. And then you start saying, well, why am I here? I often say this, that I want to die empty of all the potential, all the gifts, all the fruit, all the good works. I want it to work out of me to the point where I'm ex- I've exhausted everything that God's put in me when I'm lying on my deathbed. And I got a ways to go to get there. How about you? But that's my desire. Why? It's the love of God that motivates me. It's the love of God that gets me to this paradigm shift where it's not about me, it's about others. Isn't that awesome? So when he says to avoid the world, he's not saying to avoid people. He's not saying to avoid music and culture and art. Come on, let's embrace those things. That's beautiful. I mean, those are gifts given to people by God. Enjoy them. Man, there's nothing like going to a concert and just watching people flow in the gifts that they have. Wow, look at how he plays drums and how she sings and how he plays guitar and I mean, all those things. Wow, you ever went to an art museum or just saw art on TV? I don't know, you're like, they have museums with art? Yes, they do. But you see sculptures and you see paintings, you're like, wow, we have a guy who lives right here in Fenton. If you look through, right now you can't downstairs, but he did the whole wing for city kids. He did that little area over there um, for the uh, nursery. And his name's Kevin Burdick, and this guy's stuff is everywhere. We were down at the Flint Farmer's Market, and... His murals were all over the place. Companies hire him and he just, literally, he'll get spray cans. He'll go, he doesn't make that sound. That's a spray can. But he's like, doing all this stuff. And then I'm like, dude, what? It just like comes out like it was in the wall the whole time and he just discovers and finds it. It's just amazing. And then he has like these pens and he'll outline it. He's just doing this like, I'm like, whoa. But see, God has given us those gifts and we need to appreciate those things. Don't shut them out. But what we do want to shut out is these attitudes and these actions that are devoid of God, that are devoid of love. Does that make sense this morning? Because it's all found in the love of the Heavenly Father. Our whole way of life and how we do life, that's how we find ourselves. That's how we find our true identity. Amen? Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace toward us. Here we are on another Sunday morning for a lot of us, whether we're here physically or we're online watching. We, we made a decision to show up to this building because we know, we have the sense that you're here. Not in this building necessarily, but that you're here, you're present. For some of us, we've awakened to this, this idea that you're in us. I can't help but go back to the words of the Apostle Paul as he's preaching to a bunch of Greeks on Mars Hill, trying to get them to awaken to the true God. And he says, we are all the offspring of God. In him we live, move, and have our being. I pray this morning that whether we heard it for the first time or second or third or fourth, or it's a reminder that we're awakening to the truth of who we are and whose we are. And it's in those moments that sometimes it's a little uncomfortable because as we begin to awaken to who we truly are, sometimes who we truly are, we look at our actions or our words, our responses, and we're like, wow, those just aren't lining up. And and then, Holy Spirit, we just have to ask you for help. It's like, help me, because 
I want things to line up. I want people, when they see me, I want them to desire the good fruit that I'm producing. I don't want it to be hidden. I don't want, like, like the Apostle John said, the light to be convoluted where it's just this obscure thing and there's things, there's a veil over, over front of it and we can't see it. I want people to see you in me. And so that's really the story of our life. That's what salvation's all about. The apostles say to work out your salvation. It's not a one-time prayer, one and done. It's not a ticket stamp to a place somewhere in the suite by and by. Salvation is deliverance and preservation and safety and healing and wholeness. And we contain those things. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal that to us and we would awaken to that and realize that I do have a job to do. I have a kingdom to expand and it's not by force and it's not, you know, uh, um, taking over and manipulating and controlling. It's through love, not coercion. So I pray above all that we would learn how to be lovers, first of all, of ourselves. Also lovers of life, lovers of others. And it all begins with you. First John 4, 19, we love because you first loved us. Man, Apostle John, if you can hear me right now, you really got it, bro. You understood what love's all about. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace toward me. If there's any area of my life where I'm believing a lie about either you or myself, I open my heart for you to expose that. Show that to me. But not for condemnation. You're not doing that for shame. You're doing that because you want to bring healing and restoration. So I give you permission. Show me these things, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, bring healing into my heart. I want to love like you love. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.